Welcome to the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm Lisa Watson and we'll be joined by my co-hosts Nicole Frolick and Brian Koenigberg. The Enlighten Up podcast is a weekly show that provides an unconventional and refreshing spin on spirituality, where three friends and weekly guests share informative, fun, and usually off-the-wall conversations. Unlike others, we provide fringe and skeptical viewpoints on all topics, because our experience has taught us that the echo chamber is a boring place from which to learn. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we can promise you, you're going to find a place to fit in here. So we invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our casual, entertaining, and hopefully enlightening conversation. And Enlighten Up is a self-funded podcast. So if you would like to help us to continue to be able to produce, enhance, and expand the show for our audience, then please send your support using the link in the show notes or go to our website, lightenup.us, and check out our merchandise shop where you can purchase merchandise that will allow you to express some spiritual humor. You may also show your support by leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And now let's jump right into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I am with Lisa and Brian. And today... <laughs> and today we are joined by Mary Hinane, an investigative journalist, entrepreneur, and producer of her award-winning documentary, Vanishing of the Bees, narrated by Ellen Page. Uh, Mary reached out to me on Twitter recently after uh, we had Zach Voorhees on to expose what Google has been doing behind the scenes to censor a lot of information from us through search engines and manipulation and all of that. And she has been working diligently to uncover the hidden team up of big tech and big pharma. Uh, we're going to find out that uh, Google is a drug company, but through all of that, Miriam's uh, big, big passion is natural health. She's had a huge spiritual awakening. Her spiritual awakening started at the age of 13, I believe. And so we're going to get into a lot of that and cover a lot of topics, especially health. If you missed my uh, video, I'm going to leave the link for in the show notes, which Miriam and I did earlier this week. And uh, you can watch that as well because there's some great information in there. Miriam, uh, Mary, well, Miriam, welcome Thank to the you. show. How are I'm you? Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good to have you here. So you let you know, this is a spiritual show and all of that. And so we always find it so interesting to see, you know, where people start yeah. and where they end up. And when you and I were chatting, um, you mentioned that your spiritual awakening started in your early, yes. early ages. Yes. I, I was, uh, raised Coptic Orthodox Christian going to church. And at the age of 13, I had someone in my Sunday school class that I had like a puppy love crush on get hit by a 18 wheeler and then end up dying. And it really, started at even at that age asking where did he go and started asking questions and remember actually being my parents were in a building and as I was with um I was kind of sitting in the lobby with the security guard and he started talking to me about the third eye and om and I remember saying do you mean amen and he's like om and then shortly afterwards I started trying to astral project so that I could go find my friend who had died and read Out on a Limb at the age of 13 by Shirley MacLaine. In the book, 
She references the Bodhi Tree, which is a now defunct metaphysical bookstore. And uh, many years later, at the age of 29, I ended up having my near-death experience right in front of the Bodhi Tree in the crosswalk. Um, Also, I'd like to say that ended up, I ended up being hit by a Ford Explorer at 30, 35 miles an hour, getting dragged and breaking many bones and having a near-death experience. I'd like to reference that my first story as a journalist was on the rise of cremation rates in, in Montreal. I was fascinated with death. I was taking a death and dying class as part of my minor in, in religion, and I minored in psychology. And I remember going to choosing to go to the crematorium going down and meeting the man who basically burned bodies and looking at the retort. And there was a bucket full of metal things. And one, he said, was a hip joint. And I remember saying to myself, God, I would never want to have that in my body. And then fast forward, when I had my accident, was outfitted with a 14-inch titanium rod that stayed in my body for years until I thought to take it out. So my friend's death, Mark, really opened my eyes to what's more and what's out there. And I I ended up, magical things, even though he was dead, ended up happening um, to to, to confirm to me that there's more out there. And I I can share that uh, if you'd like, or we can move on. So I kind of became obsessed with where Mark was and... I would pray and wonder, and I, I was too young at 13. He, he was in Ottawa, two hours away from Montreal, so I wasn't able to attend the funeral, and I wanted to pay my respects. So fast forward to when I was 18, my grandfather passed away, but he was 99, so it was more of a celebration. It wasn't, and I remember being in the limo with my cousin, and, and we were going to the outskirts of Montreal, and I was wondering Hmm, is there any way that he Mark was buried here? And I arrived at the at the cemetery, and it was huge. So I was like, okay, well, um, good luck on finding him. And we were putting my grandfather into the ground, and my cousin tapped me on the shoulder, and he was there, two rows behind me. Um, and I got to pay my respects and see his tomb. And then fast forward again to twenty one. I'm in Cuba with my, my mom and her new still husband. And right the, the night before, I had prayed and hadn't thought about Mark in a while. And I was on the beach the day after, and there was some girls there my age. So I was older now, so I was 18. And a girl asked, are you Indian? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Egyptian. And she said, oh, I used to know an Egyptian, but he got hit by a truck. And I stopped and I said, don't tell me his name was Mark, my lad. And she said, yes. And uh, she told me about the memorial and she told me how he was loved in his school in Ottawa because he used to be in Montreal. And that was really like one of so many confirmations. Um, And then later on again, after my near-death experience, when I got hit by a vehicle... I had a teacher that was um, channeling my higher self. And uh, one of our lessons, she was telling me about my guides, and she said, there's a young 
boy who is your guide. And so I started asking questions and kind of challenging her because although I'm spiritual, I'm also skeptic and, and you know, I scrutinize and asked her questions. And she said that he had a sister. And I was like, I didn't have a sister. She's fucking lying. Got off the phone and something inside of me just became obsessed. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I looked up every malad. And I would get on the phone and say, I know this is strange, but about 15 years ago, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for, I didn't know what I was looking for. In my head, I, I, I thought to look for the brother. So I end up reaching one of the last calls is a girl answers. And she says, yeah, my father, my father had a son and he died. And I'm like, oh my God, he does have a sister because the father had, the reason why she, Mark moved to Ottawa was the father had an affair and the mom took the, the two boys uh, to Ottawa and he must have had a child shortly afterwards. And I, I told her, I know this sounds very strange, but Mike, Mark is one of my guides and, and um, uh, I was told that he's looking over you too. She was 14, so she was about the same age I was when Mark died. She paused and she just said, I know. And I was like, okay, well, she obviously has a relationship with him. Um, I asked if I could speak to John, the brother, although I didn't really want to speak to John. And, and she told me um, he doesn't speak to his son. And I thought, that's pretty fucked up. You lost your son and you have one other left and you don't speak to him. So eventually I reached out to the mom and I got a picture because I wanted to put it on my altar. And... I got John's number, but it really wasn't for me. And then I called back and I spoke to the daughter and I said, please just give this number to your father. And a few months passed and I reached out to the mom again and she said, you won't believe it. Um, John's dad called. So I believe that spirit Mark worked through me and I was able to reunite this father with, with his only son, living son. And so all these things really like confirmed my faith in something way more than religion. Wow, that's so impressive. I, I, clearly your investigative journalism <laughs> came through intuition. in your search there because I don't know. Yeah, an intuition, absolutely. But I know a lot of people would kind of stop and maybe feel... Um, scared or allow fear to kind of prevent them from cold calling basically <laughs> no strangers cold calling anyone <laughs> um yeah so that's pretty amazing your i mean it's amazing how the, there's so many parallels there so many parallels with you and your journey your you being yeah. hit by that ford explorer yeah. at 35 miles an hour is life. the fact that you were your yeah the fact that you're alive to even tell the story walk. is a miracle but that whole experience really challenged you 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 mentioned that it opened your Absolutely. own intuition even more that near death near death experience and also that um it began to give you more courage to challenge authority of yeah, Western Yeah, as a medicine. Canadian, again, having grown up, have been raised taking, I guess, health for granted, 
and then not even being given physiotherapy. So I used yoga to walk again. I would go to yoga with my crutch and do what I could do. Because just for our listeners uh, who may not, she's living in L.A., so you moved from from Canada to the States. And I totally understand because I grew up taking um, healthcare for granted. Mind you, now that I'm older, I see that it's not everything that it, you know, it claims it is, but to have certain things, you, it's, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To go from something to nothing. And to see how they treat you. You know, when I said, you're not going to give me physiotherapy. And then I realized it's because I don't have insurance because I, I didn't have insurance yet. And I ended up having to get insurance I was working um, as the assistant director for the movie Catwoman (laughs) on the reshoots, and I managed through Warner Brothers to get insurance and went back to the orthopedic surgeon at Cedars and asked him to remove the rod. And he did, and and I had mentioned to you when we spoke last that, that that's very uncommon. People live with hardware. And when I woke up at from the near-death experience, other than having supranasal powers. And still to this day, when I pass by streetlights, sometimes they pop. It's your slider. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you're a slider. I don't know that term. Yeah, that's what it's called. People who, um, their frequency affects electronics. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. My frequency definitely changed and was altered. And my teacher, the woman who I was working with, like really encouraged me to journal. And I I ended up writing a book that I haven't published called The Girl Who Cried Coyote and uh, treating myself kind of as a character and being, I've always been able to look at myself, which, you know, my my philosophy is know thyself. And I wish that more people could look at themselves objectively and take responsibility because we're living now in a world where people don't take accountability, where people are projecting all over the place and blaming, and that is a low frequency as opposed to speaking and communicating with the mission of solutions and uh, resolve rather than pitting one against the other. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's very disempowering what's happening right now. Uh, I mean, and... I blame a lot of it on media, uh, yes. to be quite honest. I, I feel like media plays a huge role in uh, affecting the programming that a lot of people are um, under right now in this idea of um, becoming victim, becoming into the victim mentality and disempowering yeah. themselves versus looking for a solution and rising above and uh, using that, using whatever you're, you feel is against you as an opportunity for growth. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fine line because let's say I look at what has happened with social media platforms, big tech, I'm a victim, but at the same time, it's not what happens to you, but what you do with what happens to you. So I don't have a victim mentality or I'm trying in my spiritual practice to work on not coming across that way. And that, that is work that I encourage everyone to do. I think it's really important. I think it's hard to be in a body and not have some sense of victimization, you know, 100%. Um, Oh, totally. But I, if I, 
I remember growing up in the 80s and the 90s, and I remember, you know, people from, um, you know, I guess hard times or circumstances that seemed like no one could get out of would get themselves out of it and create these inspiring stories and would be looked up towards and they would use their um, success to inspire others to come out of it. And now we live in a time where it's all about who's the bigger victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really strange. It's very strange. And it's happened in a very short time span. And so I find that a little disturbing that it could happen so fast. But this is the power of... Um, subtle suggestion, media over time, constant bombarding. If you allow yourself to constantly be berated by, you know, TV, news, movies, music, whatever it is, um, to the subtle stuff that you hear over and over on basically on repeat that eventually starts to begin to form new belief systems mm-hmm. that you operate from. Yes. So take us to, because you're, I know we've got a lot of questions, we've got some questions about health and all of that that we'll get to, uh, but, you know, health is something we've talked a lot about on this show, especially through uh, the spiritual journey, mm. um, because you're, as much as we are spirit and mind, we are also spirit, mind, and body, and it's very important to take care of all aspects You've done a lot of um, self-healing. Can you uh, tell the audience about how you were diagnosed with um, lupus? Yes, lupus and fibro. Yeah. So after the accident, um, my body exploded with things, which was PTSD, Um, insomnia, ovarian cyst, a strep throat, uh, just a series of things. And I got better. And eventually I went on to the bees flew into my life and I spent five years making vanishing of the bees, directing, producing, writing. We were a very small team, just George Langworthy and I. And then ironically, I was at a environmental film festival in the Dominican Republic. And it was a week before the festival And my business partner and now ex, we were in a small little beach town. And the last day on the way to the festival, they were using what I thought was a leaf blower. And I went to tell them to turn it off because I really don't like leaf blowers. But it wasn't a leaf blower. He was fumigating between two buildings against mosquitoes. And he was wearing some type of protective gear over his face. And that's it. And like a ghost buster pack. He turned around. It was windy. A waft. I breathed in a waft of poisons. I screamed. The owner came. Nobody understood the gravity of what had happened or the gravity of like, who the hell knows what fucking poisons they were using. And then the sparrows eat those mosquitoes. And then I I returned to Los Angeles and I've, despite having the rod in my leg, even during that time, I've always been physical. And I could not go up a a flight of stairs without pain. And I went to the doctor thinking it was my thyroid. I didn't realize that it didn't dawn on me then that it was toxic chemical body burden. And she diagnosed me. They took tests and said, you have lupus and you have fibro. Your body's attacking itself. There's no cure. Here's some prednisone, which is steroids. 
here's some Cymbalta, which is an antidepressant, like, thanks, bye. And that belief of my body attacking itself was very damaging. Uh, there are 80 million plus autoimmune sufferers. And um, I went on, you know, if someone tells me you can't do this, it's like, all right, motherfucker, I'll show you. And uh, I took six years and I reversed my lupus and fibro. I used an arsenal. And really the accident is what um, launched, I had to heal myself. And, and I became studying, studying, studying alternative health, um, finding out I had candida, finding out that I was allergic to gluten, so stopped eating gluten back in 2005, um, stopped eating sugar, just really was kind of ahead of the curve of these poisons, dairy, and um, then discovered eventually functional medicine, which is the future, and now I'm in school. I've been studying, I've been consulting as a functional medicine consultant, but now I'm in school learning, it's the coaching program, which is steeped in positive psychology, which is more serving as an ally as opposed to an authority where I say, do this and that. Um, so, I'm not familiar yes. with that, that term, functional medicine. Can you, give, can you give some background to our listeners who also might be in yes. the dark? So functional medicine at its core is looking at the human as an individual, so two people can have, I use this example, breast cancer. One can get it from a virus. One can get it from overload of toxins. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So if you were my client, I would give you a very thorough intake form. I would look at three days of your diet, and I would look at things including antecedents. So what your parents were doing, were you vaginally born? Were you a cesarean? Were you breastfed? Did you take antibiotics growing up? So can really understand your personal footprint, looking at your biome because health starts in the gut and the gut and the brain are, are linked. One and the same. Yeah, one and the same. <laughs> and it's really personalized medicine so you have an array of different modalities that you can use. And it's also very big on testing, as I am, because if someone comes to me, it's not one size fits all. And I say, I don't want to just throw spaghetti on the wall and hope something sticks. So you can look at organic acids. You can look at metabolites. You can look at your chemical body burden. You can look at your gut. You can really get a picture of what is going on with you specifically. Now, if you compare that to Western medicine, Western medicine is quite myopic and not nuanced. And functional medicine is the future. Is, is a naturopath a part of functional medicine? Because Lisa and I see one, and it sounds like what we what we do. It, it could be. It could be. Uh, I would ask them if they define themselves as functional medicine. There, there are um, naturopaths that are still stuck in the 80s and 90s. Hmm. So it, it really depends. Uh, you, you'd have to ask. You'd have to ask them. But if you compare that, a doctor in their four years of training has 24.5 hours of nutritional education. Hello, Hippocrates hello, food is thy medicine, what happened? How could these doctors not encourage lifestyle changes? I've many times at the doctor, because I do believe there's a role in, in Western medicine, 
But I've said, well, how about if I take magnesium or bees? Just blank stare. They're so, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody. From what I understand, yeah. when doctors go to medical school, the nutrition component of their um, studying is six hours long. But they're doctors of medicine. I know, but you would think you would know how certain organic materials should work with your body if you're going to know how to work with the body. It's interesting. But their solution is just give you medicine. Right. But I just, they're, they're paid to give you medicine. I've come to the conclusion that anyone who's an MD, I'm like, okay, so you're a doctor of medicine, so I'm going to stay away from you because I don't want you just to give me medicine. Drugs. <laughs> medicine. Right. Doctor of drugs. <laughs> Here's something really cool because, you know, you were saying, um, Miriam, that it, depending on, if, you know, there's, I feel like it comes down to we're moving into a place where people are starting to realize, like, I can go to school and I can study this, but if I really want to be well-crafted at my trade and doing what I'm doing and really serve in a way that I'm, I'm choosing to serve people, that I want to be multidimensional in, in how I'm approaching things, which is kind of like functional medicine. And no matter if you're a medical doctor or a naturopath, whatever it is. And I got a comment on our video uh, from someone who is a Western medicine doctor. And she said, uh, as a healer who went into Western medicine and became a medical doctor, but awakened to who I am, and now a medical intuitive, met- metaphysics understudy, functional medicine practitioner, recently a yoga teacher, and very into astrology and dreams. She lists this all. I'm just going to read the comment. She says, I list this all to show how my guides and source have led me through all this along my path to awaken. There are more of us out here, especially Western medicine trained doctors that are waking up and are turning our practices around, unlearning programs and finding our true inner selves. This is encouraging to watch and everything is going as it should. Thank you for sharing. I think that's super. I was really encouraged to hear that. Well, I think that's why Big Pharma is so scared Uh, for lack of a better word, or threatened, because alternative medicine is empowering, it's preventative, and it's a $32.5 billion business, according to the Nutrition Business Journal. So people are waking up, and one in every two people has a chronic illness today that is pretty messed up when you think of it. So Western medicine overall is sick care. And that approach of that, that woman's comment, I mean, let's say you take an astrologer who knows numerology or who knows uh, Jungian psychology or who knows, I mean, as much modalities you know, then you can connect the dots. And so it's about really looking at things from a holistic perspective. And, And I said on the show, when we spoke last, that there are different ways to get to Rome and that someone, like I don't personally resonate with Ayurvedic, but someone else might. And someone might, so so everyone resonates with a different way. And if you're working with a functional medicine practitioner, uh, again, they're going to look at tests and they're going to look at you as an individual. So the idea just to jump at, creating a one-size-fits-all vaccine, flu vaccine is pretty fucked up because it does not consider that you are 
bio, we are biodiverse. And someone with like me, who's an environmental indicator with multiple chemical sensitivities, doesn't have the same constitution. Like I, I was, I don't know, at a party and I was speaking to someone and he's like, I can eat everything. I'm like, okay, were you vaginally born? Yes. Were you breastfed? Yes. Did you take antibiotics growing up? No. Well, there you go. You have a great constitution. You, you have the ability to, you know, to, to tolerate things that someone like me couldn't tolerate. Um, should you eat crap food? No, because it still accumulates and will break down. But the point is, we are all different and, and infringing on our sovereignty is, is no bueno. No, which let takes us right into it. So how you and I, um, how you reached out to me was because of the work that you've been doing to the research that you've been doing to uncover how, you know, you are an example of someone who was able to do your own research, uh, explore the body and all of the different elements out there of healing for you to instead listening to a doctor uh, telling you that you, you know, should have kept the rod yeah. in your leg, that you, you know, you are going to be on lupus, that you're going to have to take antidepressants and, and this, and that you were able to turn everything around and heal yourself. And what's happening now is that we've got big tech companies like Google teaming up with Big Pharma, which was big enough as it was on its yeah. own already, uh, to now become a huge suppressor of that information that was available to us and is now slowly becoming less and less yes, available. Absolutely. I want to just uh, rifle off a, a couple of, there's something, a study by the global burden of disease that we can see for the first time that up to 95% of the population is sick from a spectrum of chronic conditions. Some apparent, some are not so apparent, but overall progressing for the worst. And that, if you compare to the fact that America is the most medicated nation on the earth, with 70% of people taking prescription drugs, there's some kind of disconnect there. Uh, something's not working. And so for people like me who stand, my mission for Honey Colony, our online health and wellness magazine and marketplace, is to empower you to be your own best health advocate. If I can do it, you can do it. Unfortunately, if you're on this treadmill of sick care, there's a lot of un, uh, you know, we have to undo a lot of things. And it also, when I work with, with clients, tell them that 96% were, were, were driven by our subconscious. So what beliefs are you holding? And where does spirituality come in? Where does the heart come in? Where does kindness come in when right now we're just per perpetuating sickness? It's, it's, uh, it's disturbing and it's sad. And then so when I started looking into, you know, we got, we lost our traffic. And um, this initially, me looking into techno fashion had, had to do with CBD oil. But then we started seeing our traffic. We were getting 500,000 unique visitors a month after many years of hard, hard work and well-cited articles. So I started thinking, wait a second, is Big Pharma associated with Google? Let me take a look. And then I found, um, I found that in 2015, when Alphabet became the parent company, they started doing all these deals and creating all these subsidiaries 
such as Calico, such as Verily Life, uh, Glasgow Smith Klein, which is one of the world's leading vaccine manufacturers, um, invested 715 million. And then Verily and uh, Glasgow formed Galvani Bioelectronics. And then there's also the revolving door, um, which is very well known where there's just, I guess, nepotism would be the word. And then I found out about GW, which is the venture, venture capital arm of Google's parent company. And then I found out about Vaxitech. Because I, I've never, I'm not, vaccines is not my beat, although I've become a lot more educated since. And I was just watching the vitriol and the inability to, to express yourself and have a debate or conversation about vaccines. And I was really wondering why now? Sure, it's always been controversial, but then I realized it's because there's an agenda and Google is helping make sure that agenda is coming to life because they are one in the same big pharma and um, Google. And so Vaxitech is creating, is working on, they're hoping by 2023 to create a one-size-fits-all flu vaccine. And according to the stats, the flu vaccine is the most dangerous vaccine to be given. But more so, not only are they mandating that children get vaccinated, the pipeline in the future is that we're going to be vaccinated, the adults. And so this pits people, and this is perfect because this plays into the divide and conquer strategy where, you know, your, your kid, you, you can't be in the same um, playpen anymore, sandbox. Uh, it's really creating a divide as opposed to hey, you're vaccinated, so what the fuck are you worried about? You're the inoculated ones. We don't, we don't tell the people that the people with the measles outbreak, that the majority of the ones are, are, have been vaccinated against the, the measles. Uh, these little tidbits are not shared with the people. It's just fear. It, it's, it just doesn't even make sense that if you're not mm -hmm. vaccinated, they're trying to keep you away from the yeah. ones that are vaccinated. Yeah. Like, what's the, what so no sense. bizarre? It's, there's no common sense there. It's like, isn't the whole point of you getting vaccinated so is that you're never going to get the flu, most likely? Like, and how many I people just, who've gotten the flu vaccine are sicker than ever because they get the flu vaccine? When I got the flu really, really badly two years ago, and. All my friends were like, take the Z-Pack, take the Z-Pack, fuck the Z-Pack. I took silver and I, you know, a fever is a good thing. We're seen to want to quelch a fever, but the fever is the body fighting. It's a, it's a good thing. It's healthy to have a fever. So I wrote it out. It was not pleasant, but I took a super potent silver that we make and, uh, I, I was able to not take the antibiotic. I mean, I mean, I've been going eight years after growing up on a myriad of antibiotics and having resistance and, and being severely allergic to sulfa-based antibiotics. And so then when you really do need it, because there is a time that you may need an antibiotic, you can't take it because you have all this resistance and it's messed up your biome, your gut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like, 
it's taking away the actual yes. nature of what it's meant for and, and, and overusing it and abusing it. It's, it's basically like someone who's a drug addict or an alcoholic or, you know, you, you take so much, you build up the resistance to you don't even feel the effects anymore. And so you just keep taking more and more and eventually like nothing yeah, happens. More. Uh, so it's, I think it's important for our listeners to hear this and just overall, and I know, I think Brian will enjoy this because uh, okay. he's a history person. But can you take everyone back as to how this all began? Because it didn't just start like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, you know, like this has been going on for over a century at least. And it originated with the yes. Flexner Report. Do you want to take everyone through that, whole, what, the origination, how this came about, like this onslaught of war against yes. alternative medicine? So I will try my best to do justice. But Abraham Flexner... In 1910, not a doctor and a theorist and a, a teacher um, from Kentucky, he wanted to apply German educational methods and he created this culture of monetizing medicine. And the pharmaceutical industry began as a byproduct of oil refinements because the people involved, Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, John Rockefeller, um, signed, signed up and allowed hospitals in the U.S. and Canada to be audited. And the underlying was to promote patenting of drugs and to do, quote-unquote, science and lab research. And, and by the way, just as an aside, that the pesticide industry was a byproduct of, of the, the, the war, that after, I believe, the Second World War, that there were all these leftover poisons, and so then they decided to wage war against the bugs. Okay, so this educational theorist um, paired up, and it became more of a business, and they set norms that put an emphasis, again, on lab research and patenting drugs. It, it was not about um, the humanity or looking at the individuals. And we know that drugs rarely treat the cause. They don't go to the root. And th this, this paved the way. Um, when the report came out, Flexner put out a report, and they audited med schools, again, in Canada and, and the U.S. So by World War II, the medical schools had been cut in half. So anyone that didn't prescribe or sign up to this mode was kind of shut down. And these were German educational models. Um, so then you, you, you kind of realize, well, this, this is what's paved the way and has snowballed into what, what we see today. And I hope that does, that does justice and someone can look up the Flexner report and it's linked in my story. And, um, also, by the way, I don't know if you, you guys knew that John Rockefeller invested in um, IG Farben, a.k.a. Bayer. <laughs> so, yeah, John Rockefeller mm -hmm. had the standard, well, and I say it's a derivative of the oil refinements, Rockefeller owned Standard Oil of, of Jersey, and then he purchased controlling interest in IG Farben, which is Bayer, which is now Monsanto which is now a monopoly. And back then also consider that there were no governmental agencies. 
So for instance, if you know Rachel Carson, I think a year and a half ago was the 50th anniversary to commemorate her work. She worked and was um, a biologist and an editor-in-chief of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And she was instrumental in creating the Environmental Protection Agency back then. But here we are at her anniversary. I wanted to commemorate the honeybees because it was about the 10-year anniversary of colony collapse coming to the forefront. And she was instrumental against DDT that they were spraying with abandon throughout the streets. And they vilified her, actually accusing her of bringing up the rates of malaria because DDT, DDT is, the, mm. is the anecdote. Ha <laughs> ha. And DDT, oh my God. we know how dangerous that was. Well, these systemic pesticides, they're 5,000 to 10,000 times more dangerous than DDT. And then their metabolites, they stay in the ground for 18 years and their metabolites are more dangerous than the parent compounds. So we're not only killing the bees, I, I know I've jumped to the bees now, but we're killing the worms, we're killing the bats, we're killing the butterflies, we're killing the coral reef. And these poisons are pervasive in the air, in the soil, uh, in the food supply, in the water. Um, Thank you, and Monsanto. And all the other pharmaceutical companies. It, it, isn't it wild that we are constantly bombarded with um, all of these politicians telling us to take care of the environment and do all this, and yet all their pockets are lined by the very companies that are pushing the demise of the environment? And big pharma is, is one of the most powerful industries in the world. So in 2014, the global revenue was over $1 trillion. That was in 2014. Who knows what it is now? And nowhere else in the world do the drug and medical device industries have as much power and make as much money as in the U.S. of A. And they, big pharma is the biggest defrauder mm. of the federal government under the False Claims Act, according to the watchdog group, Public Citizen. Um, by 2021, big pharma profits for prescription drugs are expected to reach, get ready, $610 billion. How big is the um, vaccine industry? In 2012, the world's 11 top pharmaceutical companies generated $700 billion plus in profits on vaccine alone. Yeah. What in, about can- in, in, in profits? That's not what people spent. That's just what they made, the profits. So, I mean, in terms of what people spent, holy hell. Well, I don't know. They're giving, they give flu shots away for free. Go to CVS and when you pick up, you call for your, um, they, they, they program the, the people, the pharmacists or the people in, in working back there to say, get your, get your free flu shot today. They have little the little signs, you know, you stick in the grass all around the Walgreens, like on the street that I live in, I drive up, it's like, come in for your flu shot, come come get poisoned, come get poisoned, come let us take your poison. Cancer is also a really big industry. Absolutely. I wonder what the numbers for that are. I don't know, but yes, it's an industry and it's a fallacy and, and uh, 
Scamser. I'm just going to make that up right now. Scamster. <laughs> Scamster. No, someone tells you they have cancer. Oh, you got Scamster. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a film, I don't recall the name, but it was with Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore, their best friends. And it's the first time that I see Tony Collette's character has cancer and is getting chemo, which is war poison and poisons. We have a great article on Honey Colony on the dogma of cancer and what's really going on. No, there are doctors who said they'll never get chemo. Yeah, of course. They're like, oh, I tell tell my patients because I have to, or else they lose their medical license, but they vow, well, they'll never get chemo. No, and I would never get chemo. But, But I just wanted to say in this film, she's getting chemo cut to her in a bar drinking alcohol, which is like, you don't want to, it's sugar, fermentation of sugar. You want to keep the body alkaline and you want to stay the hell away from sugar. The best thing you could probably do is adopt a keto, ketogenic diet and increase your, your fats and do a detox. At least try, depending on the type of cancer, because I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert on the different types of cancer. I could just tell you there's no way I would put those chemicals inside of my body no. Mm-mm. Just knowing how it works on the yeah. cell, you know, on our cellular level. What were you researching or what was happening with CBD when you found all this out? Well, I started selling CBD. I, I used it. Um, I was microdosing Xanax, which I'm not proud to say, but I was using it to sleep and I had a lot of shame, but it, but it was a Band-Aid, and Band-Aids do serve their purpose, especially when it comes to sleep, because sleep is crucial. And I started using CBD, and I got off the Xanax after several years and wanted to offer it to our customers. We've always been on the cutting edge, offering things way ahead of the game. So this was the end of 2015, like I said, way before everyone and their mama was, was selling CBD. So... We were first representing another brand and we did research and there was issues that that I didn't like, like surficants that they were using. And we paired up with this amazing genius master herbalist who created a formula just specifically for autoimmune sufferers, pain and biofilm. And we started selling it. And then in 2016, again, this has been big pharma strategy for a long time. They put CBD up there as a schedule one. Ironically though, they also patented CBD as a neuroprotectant and antioxidant back in the nineties. Interesting. So then it was seen as a schedule one, no differentiation from marijuana, even though there's no psychoactive properties. And, um, this was as they were incubating because GW Pharma was working with the FDA to create the first ever fake shit synthetic isolate CBD. And then it was convenient. Well, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing that they were, that they were trying that um, it, it failed because they weren't able to, to replicate, uh, y- you know, how cannabidiol interacts with the body. But well, what do you mean? It wasn't a bad thing. It's it synthetic. wasn't a bad idea to try to, to try to make it synthetic. To, to synthesize it, it just well, it just didn't work. 
It does. It's approved. I mean, they, they've even they've even partnered with the Epilepsy Foundation, so they can get everyone on the tit of of a, a medicine that's going to cost you like between twenty five and forty five thousand dollars a year. So it worked. It's the first ever FDA approved. But why are you going to try to replicate nature if it's an isolate? then it's not full spectrum. It doesn't have the other cannabinoids. There's not the entourage effect. Where- right, and that's, and that's, the part that, that's the part that failed, that they didn't understand. Because, you know, keep in mind, when they first started studying that, they didn't understand the cannabinoid system in the body and how it was more than one thing all working together. If they, uh-huh. if they wouldn't have been able to, to do that, I don't, I don't think that would have been a bad thing. But, I don't I mean, think personally that they care. Um, okay, I'm going to I'm going to share a quote. Big Pharma does not understand botanical medicine, says Ethan Russo in a recent Under Dark article. Russo is a neurologist and former medical advisor at GW Pharmaceuticals, who now serves as director of research and development at the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute. So he says, I can tell you, having worked with GB, that they, they were sure aware of the un- entourage effect. Apparently, they chose to ignore it. So I would disagree with you. Big Pharma does what they understand is profit, and isolates are inferior. Why would you take an isolated pharmaceutical over a whole plant formula? Why would you pay to have... Th- there's... The, the World Health Organization has stated that CBD is safe. Now the media, mainstream media, is perpetuating fallacies that the hype outweighs the science. That's bullshit. Uh, cannabis is thousands of years old, and there's tons of studies, and there would be more if Big Pharma didn't allow for all this red tape. So I would disagree. That's what big pharma does. They isolate and they synthesize and they, they take from the natural world and try to replicate it. And you can't replicate the natural world. Um, in, I mean, I, I rather just take the plant. Would you rather buy, spend 45K a year or 1800 for an organic bottle for the, you know, to, to last you the year? I know it's hard to, hard choice to make. Um, I would agree that they don't care and that they're, they're just driven by profits and to fool the people, basically. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a guy that worked for GW. And so I'd like this is a good time to say that GW Pharma has an exclusive marketing agreement with Bayer. Bayer is mentioned in my movies. So I like to tell people who would have thought that I would share bees and bud in common with Bayer. And I also like alliteration. So we started getting shut down. So PayPal shut us down. Facebook shut us down our ads. They took four years of stats of all of our campaigns where we could see what was working and what was not overnight gone. Uh, PayPal, when they froze us, sat on $36,000 of our funds. I had to bust out my press pass, which I think today doesn't have as much um, validity and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to write about this. You are harming my small business. How can I operate if you're holding up 36,000 within the hour, they released the money, but I eventually 
I've been banned for life. I, Miriam, have been banned for life off PayPal. Um, yeah. I think this is, I think this is one of the things that gets lost in the understanding of what's actually happening and what this means for people. Because sure, you can get suppression of information and all, and all of that. And people think, okay, well, um, you know, there's, okay. So, okay. Don't use Google. We're going to go to Bing. We're going to find it. Fine. But there's so, there's so many layers here that there are so many businesses, especially in the alternative health industry, uh, that have gone under or had their business, um, like taken out at the knees basically because of big tech, whether it's, um, stuff like PayPal, Facebook, Google, and all of your hard work, all of the efforts that you put into building a business that actually helps people is successful and you built a business organically is then just stripped away from you in seconds, in nanoseconds, gone, poof. It's, it's so, um, totalitarian that it's, it's already starting to happen and having an awareness of the ramifications of what this means for people. It may not have happened to you yet, but it's happening to people. And if it's happened to someone else, it could happen to you. And this is the idea of, we need to inform ourselves. We need to become much more aware of what's going on and how to navigate the situation and basically come together and not allow the divide and conquer to continue to drive people apart. I agree. Since, since the story came out, I've had many people reach out to me and tell me how their businesses have been devastated. And so I call the 2017 the year of playing whack-a-mole because we were shut down, shut down. So every time you're shut down and you don't have a processor, you have customers, you have a product, but you cannot make the link. So every two weeks, there goes $30,000, $20,000. So by July... We were, we had lost about 125, 150,000 in lost sales. And then that means customers are not being, orders are not being fulfilled. Chargebacks are coming in. Fulfillment, uh, we don't have the money to buy uh, products. And it's how many people just say, fuck this and just leave. And I was like, so many people were like, Mary, why don't you just stop selling CBD? Why? I'm helping people. I believe in being abundant through helping people. That's my mission. I'm not going to stop. And here we are four years later. I'm still facing those, those issues, as are many others selling a perfectly safe plant compound. Many are, are not doing it properly, and they give fire to the FDA uh, to justify their logic of we have to keep the people safe and FDA, the medical mafia. Um, so now I'm doing research. Well, I have been writing about CBD, but I'm doing a deep dive into to the FDA's role. So just I wanted to go back. So 2016, put on schedule one. Then after Pedalox, and am I pronouncing it wrong, gets FDA approval. Oh, conveniently, we take it off of schedule one. And... Now it falls under the purview of the FDA and FDA's argument is the analogy that I use is like now cannabinoid CBD is seen as a drug, not a plant compound. So it would be like putting Ativan in salad dressing because food and drug. So they're now scrutinizing. They had on May 31st a hearing that you could listen to online. There were 
a hundred speakers, 10 hours of testimony. And I was listening and the, the, the theme was the hype is over overshadowing the science, which is again, not true at all. So yes, there has to be regulations because a lot of people out there just give a crap about making money. They don't care about helping people. And they see this as the latest trend because it's everywhere. Budweiser. I mean, all these companies are investing in CBD um, and because of the passing of the farm bill. But yet we're not in the clear yet. I also got signed up with Elevon. Elevon, U.S. Bank, decided to take on so I was one of the first because Honey Colony was already using Elevon and I had to move my CBD to a completely different site and made history. And I thought like, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. And then four months later, they dropped the thousand accounts and all these people yet again were left scrambling. And many are still scrambling and hoping that the Safe Banking Act will finally allow us to sell CBD without all this hell. Mm. You know, it's, you, you bring up a point through all of that, that mm-hmm. there's so many layers to this. It's not just one thing. And it's so, it's so sneaky, you know, it's really sneaky because the programming is so deep. They go after your belief system and they do it in these ways where like you were saying, Oh, well, if we make it FDA approved, people then mm-hmm. associate it as a drug and then they don't use it as a real food. They don't use it as like a natural ingredient and in, that they can use in that way. It's that those subtle things that start to shape and form the way we look at things and, sh- and alter them from what it could have been to what they want it to be. Yes. And, and, and this is where misinformation and fake news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recently wrote a piece that will be published in Green Med Info. Um, the editor-in-chief of Health Freedom News, who's a colleague, sent me a story which was celebrating Google's crackdown um, of not allowing, and they use CBD as an example. And then the first thing that I do is like, oh, let's see who wrote this. Oh, it's the dean of Stanford uh, Medicine. Um, Google's founders graduated from Stanford. When Google went public, they got millions of dollars. They arguably still have stock, but we're not able to see because that's private information. So this is, this is someone who's clearly has a conflict of interest spreading disinformation. I, as part of this article for, on CBD, um, contacted the FDA the other day. They sent me a myriad of links and they are saying, you know, they're, they're, they're purporting themselves as here to protect the people. Although they're referenced as the medical mafia. So first, safety, consider, safety considerations are front of mind, um, is what they say. And so I was listening to or re- reading this, this article, this press release rather, or speech, by someone who works for the FDA and just sussing out, he's the principal associate commissioner for policy, Lowell Schiller, and he gave a speech. And um, it's full of bullshit. I think basically as a rule of thumb, um, you know, obviously there's exceptions to all rules, but um, 
basically anything that the pharmaceutical company is telling yeah. you, just inverse yeah. it, and that's the truth. It's, yeah, it's ironic. So, yes, um, Miriam, you've had like quite a health journey, and um, you know, Li- uh, Liv wanted to know. Um, if you could share some of your dietary habits, because uh, you got really good results with your autoimmune, or she mm-hmm. actually got really good results on an autoimmune paleo diet, but found it hard to maintain. Now, she said something interesting here that we could all maybe address on the podcast, because Lisa and I actually have a friend that refutes this. Uh, well, she's a living testament to it. Uh, she goes, then I saw some films showing animal treatment in cafes and tried to become vegan. I think veganism is probably the most ethical and best for the planet, but can be hard to maintain as well if one cannot eat many plant foods due to autoimmunity and intestinal permeability. So it's a conundrum for sensitive people on many levels trying to figure out what to eat. She'd love to hear your opinion. Yes. So from a functional medicine point of view, I would look at, you know, some people think it's BS to look at blood type. I look at blood type. I would run a food allergy test. I would make sure for me, instead of pitting people one against the other, it's about eating for you and your condition. I personally don't eat grains. I can show you a before and after picture. I grew up chubby. I grew up trying lots of different diets and my body is completely transformed. I don't look 46 and yet I've been poisoned. I've um, had to learn how to walk again. So I'm here to inspire. So if someone is coming to me with an autoimmune, I'd likely remove sugar, dairy, gluten, and then I would gradually um, get them off of grains. Because I remember when I was told, okay, you're eating gluten-free, Miriam, but ideally you should get off of grains. And I, that, that was difficult. I didn't want to give up. And so you have to take baby steps. So usually what I do, because I don't want to do a drastic um, upgrade, I look at their food and let's say just start with coffee. Let's say they drink coffee. What kind of coffee are you drinking? Because crop, that crop is one of the most sprayed crops uh, compared you know, to also like strawberries. So it also can have mold. So then I'll do sh- small upgrades. I personally drink and sell Bulletproof because he tests for mold. Uh, chocolate mo- and coffee can cross-react as, as though you're eating gluten. Uh, there's some cross-reactivity if it has mold, and I've had horrible reactions. I, I definitely need to schedule an appointment with you. I would love that. I have, uh, I have gut issues, and we follow uh, Stephen Gundry's The Plant Paradox yes. and yes. grain-free... Dairy-free. Lectin-free. Not sugar-free with alcohol, but have removed. But, but, not, but not all the time. Um, it's kind of a, it's, it's a treat. Um, and sometimes it's a big treat. I want to say something about that. I want to say something about that treat. Because if there's candida in the body, um, people like, like Rogan, I think Joe Rogan has cheat days. So the cheat day and Dave Asprey would agree with me, that you have the sugar or you have the treat or you go bonkers, and then you create this inflammatory response. So you can have a morsel, for instance, of gluten that will spur an inflammatory response for weeks. So let's say your body recovers by the next cheat date. You're, not, you're, you're just perpetuating it. And you're feeding the candida if it's sugar. And, and most of us are contending 
with some type of, of candida. I, I am partnered with Viome, which is a gut intelligence mm-hmm. kit. You send in your poop and it's going to look specifically at your gut and it will tell you your superfoods, foods to avoid. Cool. And it changes six months later. If you follow the protocol, you do it again and you see how the gut has changed. So again, it's very personalized. It's called Viome and you still have gut issues. I do. Yeah. And that could be leaky gut. I do have, I have a leaky gut. Yeah. Okay. So it takes years. It it takes years to rebuild. You could take things like marshmallow root, uh, glutamine to heal the lining of the gut, but the most important and take prebiotics and take Mm -hmm. probiotics, probiotics specifically for Mm -hmm. you because you don't want to create a monoculture of probiotics in your tummy. You can have one profile of probiotics on one side of the intestine and a completely different one on the other, which is amazing. And then you also have to make sure that the probiotics are communicating with the, the lattice, they're communicating with, right. with one another. So it takes, it, takes, uh, it takes years and it's definitely impacted with the brain fog epidemic the, that Mark Hyman talks about um, because it's intri- in, intrinsically linked. So I want to go back to say that for me, the most important thing is to eat clean. It's not to vilify. I have been in a room. I'm not a vegan. Uh, I have gone through that stage, and there's many unhealthy vegans. I was at the premiere of What the Health. I don't know if you've heard of that film. It's vegan propaganda. I tear it to bits from as a journalist, as a mm-hmm. functional medicine consultant, and as a filmmaker at how irresponsible it is to tell people that sugar doesn't cause diabetes, to tell people that eating an egg is akin to smoking five cigarettes. It's so, it doesn't make any distinction between factory farming, which I'm not, um, I I do not respect or, or promote. Yeah. It's, 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 it's torture. It's, um, to. you're yeah. eating that, all those stress hormones, um, the things that they do to the animals are, you could say satanic, just horrible things that they do. So it's about eating clean. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, so, you know, cause one of her questions was about what are our thoughts on veganism? Cause she wanted to know your thoughts and, and everyone else's and it's, it's interesting because I went through a couple of years of vegetarianism and for a while I wasn't eating any eggs. And yeah. it was, for me, it was just a choice of like, I just feel like my body doesn't want it right now. And that was the only reason it just wasn't resonating with me. It wasn't because I thought eggs were bad. I actually thought eggs were good. And, and, um, it's not that I thought people shouldn't be eating meat. It's just, I just felt like my body just wanted a break. And, um, you know, recently started eating meat again. And, but of course I try to eat as high quality as I can and I just eat small amounts. But Lisa and Brian and I have a friend, interestingly enough. Um, and Lisa, was she, was she vegan, vegetarian? She was trying everything, wasn't she? Amy? Yeah, she was just trying all sorts of different things, like cutting out, you know, eggs. And I don't think she was, uh, on any particular diet, just what was she felt was working for her. She was trying everything. Yeah, she was to clear up a um, a skin. What was it? Um, psoriasis, a, a pretty intense psoriasis. Severe. Yeah, that's yeah. liver. That's liver. That's sugar. 
that uh, could be a myriad of things. It could be mold. Um, so again... Well, the only thing that worked for her was when she decided to eat meat. And she, when, when someone suggested it to her, she thought, no, that, that can't be it. That, that's not it. It was the one thing she was avoiding, I think. It makes sense. And, and so when she finally, I guess she would listen to her intuition a little bit. She's like, you know, maybe I should try it. And that's the one thing that cleared up Yeah, and so that, that stress is, yes, I have a girlfriend who has psoriasis and she's a staunch vegan and I, I wish she would eat meat. Um, it would help her. But, but the thing, again, I'm not, I'm not crapping on veganism. I find that when I do my informal poll, people that are ABs uh, type that they can, they can, they can sustain on a, on a vegan or vegetarian diet. Personally, I follow a ketogenic diet, and I believe that running on ketones is a superior fuel. You don't have to eat as much. You can practice intermittent fasting. And I see my vegan friends having to munch on food every couple of hours. And when you mm -hmm. eat high quality with, with nutrients, uh, you, you don't need to eat that much. I, I don't eat that mm -mm. much. Um, no, I've been, I've been doing intermittent fasting since 2014 and I'm astonished. I just don't need to eat as often or as much. Like I don't really get hungry till 11 or 12. Sometimes I'll go to one or two and then I'll start eating. And it's, I just really try to listen to my body, but it's amazing. I think about it. I'm like, wow, our bodies really don't need that no, much food. I agree with you. And, and so I just want to stress that it's, it's really about listening to your body, um, for, you know how many Facebook ch chats where the vegans are shitting on the, you know, really spreading, like you can feel the hatred and the vitriol. And it's like, you're defending animals. How about you be nice to your fellow species? Oh right? <laughs> how about some love to your brothers and sisters um, while you're fighting it's for the cows? True. And I would say, read the vegan myth. She was a staunch vegan. And she did research, she did some research and she, she real, I mean, life and death is a circle. How many rodents and birds are we killing to create these monocultures of soy for the vegans, for instance? Um, there, there's, life is part of, death is part of life. And we, we were hunters and gatherers, and, and that's, that's my perspective. And also, I just want to add that we each hold space. So there are the monks out there who are holding space. There are the firemen. There are the garbage people, um, the garbage men or women. Um, everyone has their role and um, is, is holding space, and we need to honor one another. And the most important thing, again, is to have reverence and to... Food is sacred, and sharing food is sacred. And if you also look at the blue zones, which I've studied and visited some of them, that the, the Okinawans, for instance, eat meat. The Sardinians eat meat. They, they drink alcohol, that wine. Let's say the people in Sardinia. But the soil and the way in which they are making the, the food is clean. It doesn't have... The, the what we're doing to the soil is atrocious. It's it's um, so again, it, it's been yes. stripped. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like you said, it's for your body, and there's so much shame that goes into 
um, you know, and it comes from all sides, whether you're a staunch meat eater and you make fun of vegans or you're vegans and you hate on, you know, meat eaters. Like, I think at the end of the day, everything is in moderation and everything can be done in an unhealthy way and everything can be done in a, in a super healthy yes. way. And it's about finding what works for you and not being so judgmental about it all and not riddling yourself with so much shame, you know, or others with so much shame because the programming of that goes into your food and then you go and you eat it because there's a level of you really want to eat well, you want to eat healthy and you want to have respect for all life forms. I think it's important that that's maintained, but also you know, your vibration, what you think your food is and how it's going to interact with your body has just as much, if not more impact on your body as well. And so bringing in all the shame or judgment, whether it's on others or it's yourself, affects what you're actually eating or drinking. And so we just need to take personal responsibility for ourselves. And as, you know, Lisa says, keep your eyes on your own paper and just do what's good for you. That's exactly what I was going to say, Nicole. <laughs> keep, keep your eyes on your own paper. Also, like just judging all over the place, people like people who say you're this. Why don't you just focus on yourself? Because I think you're projecting and you have some of that, what you're blaming me uh, and, and take responsibility for yourself. That's the best thing you can do. How you respond or react to someone. I, I wanted to just uh, say in regards to the carnivory diet, I don't know if, if you're, well, as a Canadian, um, the, the miracles that occurred for Jordan Peterson and for Michaela when they went on a carnivory diet. I mean, Michaela had to have a joint implant by, I think, 17. She had already had a joint implant. Uh, because she was probably severely allergic to lectins. And when Jordan Peterson went on the carnivory diet, which, you know, arguably maybe may not be sustainable, but over like practically overnight, he lost 50 pounds. Sleep apnea went away. Depression went away. Skin got better. Energy increased. This is for him. I pit, I wrote a, a well-written article about, from a functional medicine perspective, breaking down what was occurring with him. And I had editors of mainstream magazines tell me we cannot run that because we're scared Twitter will shut us down because Jordan is, is, uh, is controversial. Yeah. He's been taken off all the platforms. Their Patreon account got taken down. They've been deplatformed completely. He's, he's faced a lot of backlash. So he's very controversial. I had another editor tell me they wouldn't, well, they were vegan, so they wouldn't run. They thought I was promoting veganism, I mean, a carnivory, but, but if you read the article, that's not at all what I'm saying. And, they, and then another editor said, uh, I'm not going to run that story because Peterson is a white supremacist and misogynist, which I answered, um, I'm a brown woman. What? <laughs> Have, you read his- Have you read his books? Uh... No. I have. Have you listened to him speak? So, of course, nobody's perfect, and lots of people have blind spots. Yeah, and, we all do. Um, exactly. Um, but anyway, this was this was a piece about carnivory, and it, it got a lot of uh, heat. Um, but again, 
for some people it works wonders. I just saw my neighbor and his whole body was transformed. And he's like, I did the carnivory diet and then I transferred to a ketogenic diet. And he looks 10 years younger. You know, I, I really feel like from a very spiritual aspect, all of this is teaching us that we really need to grasp the concept of multidimensionality, really grasp that we're all so unique and stop trying to conform ourselves all into one way and really (laughs) accept that there are going to be infinite. We just talked about this with Augie on our last week's podcast. There are infinite possibilities to all like destinations. Okay. They can all, the path to the destination, it could be health and there are infinite paths to it. And whichever way is going to work for you is going to work for you. It doesn't mean it'll work for your neighbor or your brother or your, you know, whoever it is, but if it works for you, that's what matters. And we, and we've got to start learning to really listen to our own internal GPS system. What is it telling us? What is our body trying to communicate to us? I think our body can be one of our greatest teachers. And if we just just turn inward and really pay attention to what all of the communication is coming in for and accept that there is not one pill, there is not one diet, there is not one way to do something, that there are infinite ways. And we'd be respectful of that. Be respectful that we're all on our own journey. We're all here to walk our own path. And that idea of never judge someone until you've walked in their shoes. You just don't know what people are dealing with, what their DNA structure is like, what their past trauma histories are, what their food sensitivities are. You just don't know any of that. And there's so many layers to it. Yeah, I, I agree. And and that, that takes into consideration kindness and, uh, you know, the the... the again, to use the word vitriolic, to see the vitriol and how we've become pitted against one another and how we're just pawns not realizing what, what we're doing. What, where is the kindness? Where is the humanity and the understanding and, you know, voting people off the island and banishing them from these social media platforms or bringing up something that happened 10 years ago? Like, I, I, I tweeted... Um, you know, if you're the same one point whatever version of yourself that you were 10 years ago, I really feel sorry for you because I'm growing every single day. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. And where is our forgiveness? You're going to really hold someone accountable to something that they did as if they didn't um, learn from it. We learn from our mistakes. We are human. That That is how... You know, and that's why they're not wanting um, conversation and debate or metacognition, the thinking of thinking, or fascism is is against intellectualism. And, and, and it's this strange kind of dichotomy of putting people in tribes and wanting to create kind of gangs, so to speak, balkanization, and not really standing up for, the in, for individuality, um, mm-hmm. wanting to homogenize and yet create these subgroups that, that is all kind of part of the system to create unrest and divide. Yeah. And it's interesting because we're living in a world that's telling us, look at the left, like telling us one thing while it's doing another, you know? And when we think about this idea of, you know, this homogenization of, of basically our culture and us and, and um, how we're treating the body it comes from the very top that is telling us that diversity is the most important thing. And yet they're 
trying to homogenize everything. So it's very interesting. So always pay attention to the source of the information and are they consistent with their messages? Are they saying one thing out of one side of their mouth and doing something completely different? Actions speak louder than words. And I think it's really important to pay attention to that. I know we're getting towards the end of the show, but I really want to ask one more question here uh, because someone brought it up and um, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are on it, uh, Miriam. Uh, One of my... um, followers asked, uh, he wanted to know that what are people's thoughts on eating clean organics as being, um, see, he's a retired person and he's finding that many others like him don't have the finances for healing foods. And they've noticed that the increase in cost for real nutrition is rarely discussed. So what are your thoughts on that? It's really, it's really sad. You know, I tell people, basically you got to pay more not to get poisoned. That's, that's mm-hmm. what it boils down to. You're paying more not to get poisoned. And the unfortunate thing is that people, you know, I spend my money on food. I, I tell people I'd rather buy superfoods over shoes any day of the week. And yeah. for the people that cannot afford clean food, there is the clean 15, there's the dirty dozen, um, Those are good places to look from the environmental working group to understand. Um, It's it's very sad. Um, There's a woman called the Seed Lady in Watts that really encouraged people to start growing their own food, to go to farmer's markets, to realize that you are investing in preventative medicine by spending your money, if you can, as much as possible on eating clean. And I remember, you know, I I was living for four years, uh, four months out of the year in Greece, and people assumed that the food is organic there and would be shocked when I told them that I had to look for organic food. And I reminded them that the European Union has basically done the same thing. And I use an example of like, Greece imports $10 million worth of tomatoes. Let me tell you, Greece does not need to import any tomatoes. They, it's a staple of their, of their diets. And um, it's, it's, it's... Yeah, I would think anywhere on the Mediterranean does not need to import tomatoes. You know, I, I did want to say something about the question as far as, you know, it is more expensive to buy organic, but you will eat less and you will spend less money on drugs and, you know, going to the doctor and things like that too. So, you know, there, it's not as much more as you may think it's going to be. It's preventative. You're doing it now to, to save for later. And it is difficult. And it's so unfortunate that we have these food deserts, right? That's what they're called. And when you go to um, impoverished neighborhoods, there's these convenience stores full of crap, and uh, just FYI, that this is happening not only in America, that even going to the blue zones, and they're not, it's a cover-up, but these blue zones are disappearing, and they don't want to cover the truth on the increase. Like being on the island of Ikaria, which is a blue zone, and seeing, I, w- I was in a small little shop, and the woman in front of me was a Greek, she was buying Wonder Bread and there was the Game of Thrones theme song playing overhead. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> where are we? And the food, I thought I was going to just go to this island and like drink the water and 
um, the things that I found, the increasing rates of cancer and autoimmunity were, were, were just shocking. And um, Dan Buettner is credited for the Blue Zones, although he's not the original demographer who coined the term. He just stole it. But there were activists saying, oh, how about the increasing rates of cancer here? And he literally said, that's mm -hmm. not the type of journalism I cover. Yeah, mofo, that's called PR. You're not doing journalism. Um, so this is a worldwide issue. And yeah, everybody deserves to have clean mm. food that's mm -hmm. not killing them. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, speaking to Lisa, your point there, you're right. I do think that there are ways to hack the system. Yes. And one of the ways that I, there are a couple of ways that I could suggest to, um, to Chris, who asked the question, that um, one of them is eat less. And one of the best ways to do that is intermittent fasting. You know, eat within a six to eight hour window every day and don't eat um, outside of that window. You're going, you're going to go into fat burning mode and you're going to, you're starting to um, burn your fat as fuel and your metabolism is going to get stronger and your body's going to become a lot more efficient at fuel. Um, and also increasing fats at that. If you can increase even like yeah. coconut oil or avocados, avocados are on the clean 15, um, so they, they have minimal pesticide res residues um, and, and maybe suss out a farmer's market. But, but for him to go into intermittent fasting, we really need to see, let's say, how much sugar he's eating, for instance, because this is an addiction that's as strong as cocaine and maybe just doing a little, again, upgrades to what he's currently eating. Um, th there are solutions. Maybe you have to make an effort, but it's so worth it. Your body and your health is, is worth it. What are we without our health? Are there certain vegetables that are, because I mean, when I, when I go to the grocery store, I look, I'm like, okay, like that's really expensive. Not going to buy that, even though I know I like it. Um, but that's not, well, can I get creative with um, that ingredient and make something really tasty? Like what are some of the foods that are less expensive, organic, that people could be choosing? Because some people really need like a direct line, you know, like they can't, they don't know exactly where to go. Well, you know, honestly, what I would say that, to that is, um, let's say, for instance, someone's eating spinach, uh, like Zach likes to eat spinach. It has a lot of oxalates. I can't eat spinach. I, right now, um having high histamine levels. So... It's very, it's very again nuanced. Um, if you look at the the clean, the, the 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 dirty dozen or the clean the clean fifteen. Well, what are the what are the clean fifteen? Just list the clean fifteen. Okay, so the clean fifteen has uh, little to no traces of pesticides and is safe to consume in non-organic former. Onions, avocados. Sweet corn, although I'm, I'm not for corn, it's very inflammatory and GMO. Uh, pineapples, mango, sweet peas, asparagus, kiwi fruit, cabbage, eggplant, which is a nightshade, so I also don't eat that personally, cantaloupe, watermelon, grapefruit, sweet potatoes, and sweet onions. So those are the queen, um, clean 15. You know, you can go to the environmental working group and these lists are there. They're updated every year. And then the Dirty Dozen, celery, 
peaches, these are the ones that have the most chemical cocktails. Strawberries, apples, domestic blueberries, nectarines, bell peppers, spinach, kale, collard, cherries, potatoes, imported grapes, and lettuce have the highest amounts. When I was in Greece, oof, I, I would go to the little market and keep these lists in mind and look up broccoli. And broccoli in Greece has 13, a total of 13, it could have a total of 13 different fungicides, herbicides, or pesticides. So I had to stay away from broccoli, which is super nutritious and cruciferous and is good for clearing estrogen in the body. Um, so again, it, it, is, it, it is very nuanced. I think that anyone that makes an upgrade will see the results and will start Although losing weight is, should not be the goal. It's really like the underlying root. And then as a consequence, you will just lose the weight. Because toxic body burden, these toxins are fat, are, are, are stored in our fat. And that's another reason why you could be holding a lot of weight is because you're toxic. Um, so, yeah, that's where I introduce coffee enemas, which I'm huge, huge, huge fan of. Um, but, but that's taking it in a different direction. So if this person, you know, I would want to find out where are you living? Let's look at some resources. Let's see if there's some farmer's markets that you can go to. Let's see what you're eating and let's see what you're contending with as far as your condition. And then I would go from there because the blueberries, let's say blueberries look, you know, that's kind of a safe, but for some reason, for some people, it might not be, um, a, a food that they can eat. And that's weird, but there, there's some, like I'm staying away from all histamines. You know how I'm, I'm not eating avocados right now. I'm not eating papayas right now because there's, there's histamine liberators. I'm not eating sardines right now. These are all healthy foods, but they're not healthy for me right now because I'm detoxing from mold, which is another huge topic. And there is a host, uh, I think, yeah. I said that when I was in Greece, I was, I was going to the market and I wanted to buy some broccoli. And um, I found out that in Greece, the broccoli can come into contact with 13 different pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides. Ooh. Yeah, ooh. Ooh, is, ooh is right. Ixnate of broccoli. <laughs> yeah, in Greece. Um, but the Greeks, the Greeks, the food that they serve is not the food that they eat. I, I call them the secret gardens because the Greeks were agrarian uh, farming is part of their culture. And that has changed because of the European union mm. and all the subs subsidies. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite foods out of that, the clean 15 is cabbage. And I actually didn't know I loved cabbage as much as I did until I started like trying different things with it. Like roasting cabbage is really great or just having it raw in like a coleslaw, which is lime juice and mm. with, um, you know, like onions. Um, and, you know, Brian's been putting golden beets in it, which are always like really nice. But there are, you know, you can get creative. It takes a little bit of effort, um, you know, but... Put the effort where your money can't and just work with what you got. And, you know, there's only so much you can do, but there are things you can do. And every little thing you do do is more helpful than not. Any upgrade or any improvement in diet, you will, you will see the benefits pretty quickly because you're upgrading. 
It doesn't mean that it's sustainable, meaning I, I'm really wanting to look at nutrient deficiencies and realizing like you can be deficient in bees and then have schizophrenia. I mean, it's like, it's, it's these, these nutrients. And then we, then we can go into methylation and genetic SNPs and epigenetics. And, and again, all of these topics shed light at how Western medicine is myopic in, in treating the individual. And pay attention to your doo-doo. Oh yeah. That's a whole different topic. (laughs) Yeah. Let's all send our do you into this uh, lab and find out what's going on in our guts? <laughs> Seriously, though, because it's such an it's a, an immediate indication of your gut health. And when Brian has had gut health issues for eight to ten years, and doctors just don't seem to pay attention to that. And I was talking. Has he developed parasites? Uh, he actually Sorry. did have. Yeah, worms. I had parasites and worms, but but I, I'm clear now. That's what destroyed his gut to begin with, was the worms. Have you dealt with biofilm? Have you run any tests to see if you have any pathogens and the pathogens might be hiding behind biofilm? Bio- We've run lots of tests, but I, that's, that's, that's why I want to talk okay. to you because you've mentioned some things that seem beyond what we've done. So, Have you tried Restore? It sounds familiar, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll connect with you offline. Okay, okay, sure. Okay, well, Miriam, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your uh, knowledge and wisdom with all of us and the message. I think it's really important to um, get the voices that are being suppressed out as much as possible and give you platforms where you can share your, your message. Let our audience know where they can find you if they want to get in contact with you. Thank you. That I really appreciate. Yeah, I would love it if people followed me on Twitter, Miriam Hinane. Instagram. I'm quite active on Instagram and then buzz on over to honeycolony.com because if you are using Google, which I hope you're not, if you don't put in honeycolony.com or mercola.com or selfhelp.com, which is an excellent site, then we will not come up. And we have so many amazing, well-sourced articles to empower, inspire, and educate you. So yes, I appreciate any any support because I have been deranked and shadow banned. Mm, well, we'll leave all that information in the show note. I do. I do want to give a shout out to the bees. Oh yeah. It's not possible to eat without them. And they pollinate one in every three bites of the food we eat. Everything from avocados to zucchini. They are still dying. They are selfless. They work for the greater good. And I tell people that, you know, 10 years after making the film, that we are the bees slowly being poisoned by sublethal doses. And so let's just give an ode to, to the bees who can teach us so much on so many different levels. And since <laughs> talking to you, I can't tell you how many bees have been around me. <laughs> yes, I believe you. Or if you if you know, like I just had a friend the other day said, I just had a bee. I was just thinking of him. And then three days later, um, He's like, this bee's been following me for five minutes. I thought I would, I would uh, give you a call. So that happens yeah. a lot. It's like a word you know, that you haven't heard, and then you hear it, and then it's everywhere. You just become more attuned. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. 
Yeah, it was a pleasure. And to our audience, thanks so much for uh, being back here again. And thank you to all of you who sent in your questions for Miriam to answer. We appreciate it. Keep sending those questions in. We love to be interactive with you on the actual show. We will be with you guys all again next week. Have a great week and we love you. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If any of you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests that you would like to hear on our show, please email Email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us or send us a voice message using the Anchor app. There's a super cool feature on there that allows you to send us a message or ask us a question with a touch of a button right from the app. And please continue to support us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you haven't checked out Nicole's channel on YouTube yet, head on over there for some more insight from her, or you can visit her website, inflexibleme.com, where you can book a personal coaching session or a tarot reading, watch some of her most informative videos, or you can sign up for her newsletter. And if you're interested in some light language healing, head to my YouTube channel, Lisa Loves Love, or send me an email to lisa at lisaloveslove.com to inquire about your own personal reading. Thank you again for joining us and supporting us, and we'll be back with you all next week.